Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hey, Dream listeners, if you like this podcast, you're going to love the book. Yeah, I wrote a book. It's called Selling the Dream, and it's coming out March 12th, 2024 on Atria. It's about all of your favorite characters from MLMs and some that you've never even heard of, I hope. Check it out. Previously on The Dream. So that you can see this training, seven steps to becoming a recruiting machine. But it doesn't actually tell you how to recruit people. So this is funny because it's like, step one, like make a decision. <laughs> step- no, it doesn't even say make a decision. It but says one. Yeah. yeah, step one, decision. Step two, mindset. Step three, collect friends. Like it's just, <laughs> it's, it's what? There are about a million different origin stories for our current obsession with maximizing our potential in America. And my favorite one of those stories kind of explains everything you need to know about the coaching hustle today. Only it starts back around the first time the machines started to take over. I'm talking Industrial Revolution era, the latter half of the 1800s. Not this, like, new chat GPT stuff. Back then, humans were looking inward, like... What makes me, a human, individually special and irreplaceable? And a bunch of their ideas were like, hey, I have a mind and a body and a soul. Look what I can do. Spiritual movements like new thought and the law of attraction, you know, how your attitude and thoughts affect stuff in the physical world, became super popular right around then. So did hypnosis. Some folks took all this stuff a little too far, in my opinion, and started doing a thing called mentalism, mind reading and Watch me bend this fork without touching it. Magic stuff like that. Others took the idea to church and came up with beliefs like Christian science, which focused on healing the body with the mind, often through prayer. And of course, there were a bunch of charlatans in on the game. There was money to be made on seances. Everyone wanted a Ouija board and all that other creepy Victorian stuff. 
Supposedly, this all became really popular after the Civil War because so many people died and there weren't proper funerals. Folks wanted to connect with lost loved ones again in, you know, like in their minds. And then along came a man named Napoleon Hill. And he said, what if this new way of thinking was applied solely to making money? After all, if you can conjure the dead and bend spoons with your mind, you should be able to, like, manifest a pile of gold bricks. You know, think and grow rich. So back in the 30s, he wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich. His inspiration, he said, was a meeting with Andrew Carnegie. And this is Andrew Carnegie, the steel magnate, not Dale Carnegie, the author of another self-help classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That guy, Dale Carnegie, no relation, changed the spelling of his last name to match Andrew's the year Andrew Carnegie died. Not really a coincidence. So we're talking about the OG Carnegie, Andrew. Anyway, Napoleon Hill meets OG Andrew Carnegie, and well, let's let him tell it. Mr. Carnegie delivered a lecture that I shall never forget. Let me call your attention to a great power which is under your control, said Mr. Carnegie. A power which is greater than poverty, greater than the lack of education, greater than all of your fears and superstitions combined. It is the power to take possession of your own mind and direct it to whatever ends you may desire. When you speak of your poverty and lack of education, Mr. Carnegie explained, you are simply directing your mind power to attract these undesirable circumstances. Because it is true that whatever your mind feeds upon, your mind attracts to you. Now you see why it is important that you recognize that all success begins with definiteness of purpose with a clear picture in your mind of precisely what you want from life. This is from a 1928 filmed presentation Hill gave on his first book, The Law of Success. So on the supposed advice from Andrew Carnegie, Napoleon Hill says he set about speaking to as many successful and wealthy people as he possibly could. And eventually, he wrote this book, Think and Grow Rich, that has sold 100 million copies since then. If you haven't heard of this book, I would like the address of the rock you've been living under because I am tired of having to know stuff. Know what you want and believe that you can and will get it. Give expressions of gratitude many times daily for having received that which you want, even before you actually get physical possession of. Possession starts first in the mind. Uh, Please remember this. When overtaken by defeat, as you may be many times, remember that man's faith is tested many times before he is crowned with final victory. And accept your defeat as nothing more than a challenge to keep on trying. Think and Grow Rich came out in 1939, and to this day, people are devoted to the book and to Hill's teachings. And not just motivational speakers like Tony Robbins and all the other Robbinses. This book is a part of popular culture, or just regular culture, or even unpopular culture. Everyone loves it, including the man who created the FUBU fashion line, Damon John, my second favorite shark, on Shark Tank. Now, many of you have heard me credit the book that I read and that I have read several times ever since I was a kid, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And it helped me start FUBU. And today I wanna share with you the top five lessons I learned from that book that helped me get to where I am today. And Lana Del Rey. I actually read this book called Think Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which isn't, yeah, you did? It's great. Yeah, it's amazing, because it's not really about money. Right. It's just more, I'll just always remember this line where um, he talks about burning every bridge except the one bridge to the thing that makes your heart 
the most on fire. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's definitely singing, but how am I going to get there? Mm -hmm. There was even a film made about Napoleon's book and the story of his life, starring professional, perpetual teenager Rob Dyrdek, of all those shows 12-year-old boys love to watch on MTV. The hardest thing to actually master is faith, when that doubt and fear that's ultimately a self-protection mechanism that stops you, the only way to get through that is faith in your plan. And your plan only matters if you really believe in it. Because faith is the piece that's going to give you the ability to continue through the highs and lows. When you get to that level, you really believe that you are creating your entire existence. You feel like you're manipulating reality. But that film, part interviews with famouses who loved Napoleon Hill and part reenactments from his life, it was never released. And I think we might know why. None of his story is true, starting with the fact that after a string of run-ins with the law, he decided to go by his middle name instead of his first. Napoleon Hill was born Oliver Napoleon Hill. Wait, Um, his name isn't even Napoleon. Right. His name is Oliver or Knapp. This is Matt Novak. A few years ago, his partner came to him and she asked him if he'd ever heard of this guy, Napoleon Hill, because she'd just read something about him. (laughs) And it was nothing but a uh, gut reaction on her part that something was fishy and set me off on this course. But she came up to me and said, there's this guy named Napoleon Hill and you need to debunk him. (laughs) And that's exactly what I set out to do because it was pretty clear that uh, this was a guy with a, a lot to sell and not much substance behind it. And careful what you wish for if you have a partner who respects your ideas because he did exactly what she suggested and spent the next two years working nights and weekends writing a 20,000-word piece about Napoleon Hill. And that first discovery, that his name wasn't really Napoleon, was crucial to his research because if you just look up Napoleon Hill in historical records, it's all about the book. You can't really find anything on Napoleon Hill from before then. Honestly, using your middle name was a great trick in the olden days. But if you search Oliver Hill or Oliver Napoleon Hill, you get a bunch of scams that he was running, buying lumber on credit, and then selling it at pennies on the dollar to other people. And, you know, various (laughs) companies were scammed in this way, and he was pursued by the authorities. And um, what does that mean? I'm sorry. It, when he's buying the lumber on credit and then selling it for really cheap and then not paying back the credit? Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. He, with no intention to ever pay back the people who he got it on credit for. It seems he changed his name when he was trying to flee the South. It seems a lot of his earliest scams with lumber were in the South, and then he, he headed off to uh, Washington, D.C. to start a car business. After the lumber scams, he flees to Washington, D.C., where he starts a school for auto mechanics. But it turns out that that school is actually a scam where the quote-unquote students are basically performing unpaid labor constructing cars. So their tuition is going toward their own work. Well, they're paying to basically work for free, um, mm-hmm. which was quite a scam. But, uh, <laughs> you know. They, I was going to ask if he had any experience building cars. <laughs> uh, you know, cars were 
this was the early 1910s, and yeah. it's still a pretty new environment for cars. So it was, you know, I, I don't know how he got involved in cars specifically, uh, but they were the <laughs> hot new technology of the time. But yeah, that fell through, and he moved on to a candy company. There's so many different companies that he started that, you know, were dissolved or disappeared from the records a year or two later. I, I don't know what the candy company scam was, but that was another one that he had. <laughs> he bought something called the Martha Washington Candy Company and changed the name to the Betsy Ross Candy Company. I mean, weird, weird little things like that where I, I don't know what the scam was with this candy company, but there's records, public records of him starting this and then changing the name and then it disappears a year later. As a fan of piling on to prove a point, There are a few more scams I want you to hear about. But remember, the reason I need to drill this into your brain is because this guy is thought of as only a force for good, only a business and life expert, only a person who wanted to help other people have better lives through the way they thought about themselves and the power that they had to change the world around them with their minds. But this is how his mind actually worked, who he actually was, how he actually thought and grew rich. Though even that turns out to be a lie. We'll get to that in a minute. I also found in the late 1910s, and this would have been right around the First World War, he shows up in the newspaper archives threatening to sue public transit company because the reading, because uh, his eyes were strained because the lights in the cars weren't good enough. So he, he <laughs> got bad vision, like just the most frivolous, like the kind of, you know, there's frivolous lawsuits today, but imagine 100 years ago, Someone talking about how I'm going to sue this the, the public transit company because I can't read as well on the bus. It's like I have, you know. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tight Knit Brewing. They turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
by the early 20s, he had a scam where he would go town to town, again, very music man or, you know, North Haverbrook Simpson style monorail guy. Um, yeah. He'd, he'd go town to town and would say that he was collecting money for a special correspondence school in the nation's prisons. So he joins up with some check forger who is, uh, he gets him bailed out of prison and says, oh, we're starting this company, a charity that will, we, it's called the Interwall Correspondence School. And we're going to collect all this money for inmates so they can have a better life and, and get an education inside. And then when they come out, it'll be a, all this great stuff. Well, again, I found newspaper articles where these towns would say, the local chaplain would say the, the money never got there. We, we never saw a cent of it. Napoleon Hill, of course, had the gall to say that it was the, the clergy that were lying about never getting the money. So <laughs> I don't know how successful that one was. But he was raising apparently significant sums, you know, $1,000 here and there, uh, which adjusted for inflation from 100 years ago is, you know, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars. So that was essentially the scam in the early 20s. Oh, the 20s. So <laughs> <laughs> I found this this photo online of Thomas Edison with Napoleon Hill. And, and this is significant because throughout his entire life, Napoleon Hill swears that uh, Andrew Carnegie told him to go interview all these famous people. He provided supposedly letters of introduction to interview successful businessmen from around the country. And there's absolutely no evidence that, A, he met with Carnegie um, to begin with, and, and B, there's no evidence that he actually met any famous person that he claims to have, except for Thomas Edison. Yes, Napoleon or Oliver, or whatever you want to call him, perhaps the er life coach, if you will, did put his mind to meeting Thomas Edison. But it wasn't based on gumption or having the right attitude or any of the tenets he espoused in his famous tome. It was because he was absolutely fine with making shit up. He wrote to Thomas Edison and said he had an award to give him. He did not have an award to give him. But he said he had an award to give him, and that was all made up, and it wasn't a real award. And then he went to Thomas Edison and then got a picture taken with Thomas Edison handing him a fake award. And then he published the photo of him and Thomas Edison in order to look like he knew Thomas Edison, which he didn't. He just, like, again, made up a whole thing. Creepy. Uh, I think you'd go to jail for that these days, wouldn't you? One of my favorite things about Napoleon Hill's claims is he claimed to be advisor to two presidents, President Woodrow Wilson, a Democrat, and, and Napoleon Hill would later claim that he was in the room when the negotiations were happening with Germany about the end to World War I. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That which, makes sense, yeah. Which makes perfect sense. <laughs> he also claimed to be an advisor to Franklin Delano Roosevelt and took credit at one point for coining, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. What? <laughs> yes. Napoleon Hill claimed no. that he came up with we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Um, <laughs> and it makes total sense that Napoleon Hill would be an advisor to FDR because Napoleon Hill is an ant, was an anti-union arch conservative 
and FDR apparently um, wanted his advice. Matt's being facetious, obviously. I mean, at the time that I was writing this, this was, I published this in December 2016, so just after the 2016 election. Um, So now some of these things may seem... Plausible? More plausible, at least somewhat more plausible if you've got sort of a Jared Kushner character in the middle of this, or you've got Kid Rock yeah. advising on North Korea policy, but... Yeah, and Kanye's in the room, and yeah. Right, yes. Does he ever get married or anything? Oh, he, he's married five times, yes. He oh. is married five times. According to the, the official biography, um, and there was a popular biography published in the 90s about him, I believe they only have three of his five marriages, and I discovered a couple more. One being his first marriage when he was a teenager, uh, was with a fellow teenager and uh, got her pregnant, and it seemed like a shotgun wedding sort of situation. Um, And then she supposedly recanted and said it wasn't his. So I think that marriage was annulled. She got to know him for like two weeks and was like, whoops, just (laughs) kidding. (laughs) Right. Either his second or third marriage, and I forget now, I found a lengthy public record from that one where he uh, is visiting brothels. You know, the allegations against him from friends and colleagues are that he was visiting brothels and detailed accounts of, of his infidelity as well as his abuse. You know, there's something in there about him throwing a baby on the ground. Um, not good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Really unfortunate stuff there. I'd say the the most fascinating marriage was to Rosa Lee Beeland. And Rosa was in her 20s when Napoleon Hill and she meet in the mid-30s. And this was seemed to be a marriage of convenience for some reason that they had schemed together to take over the world. And it looks like she should take a lot of credit for the book Think and Grow Rich, his most popular work. She was, at the very least, a heavily involved editor, but I think would probably today be considered a co-author of that work. Would you look at that? Napoleon Hill was no Matt Novak, I'll tell you that much. As you've heard in previous seasons of our show, you'll know it's not uncommon for men like Napoleon to brashly build their empires by taking credit for the work of women. I'm thinking Avon, Tupperware, Christianity. You know, because he was not a strong writer. Um, Mm. Even his biographies admitted that his some of his work was not great. So, the success of Think Grow Rich, his his biggest work, is almost certainly a product of of their marriage, which lasted just a few years. What do we know about her? Do we know anything about her? Well, so (laughs) she – the most interesting thing I think about her is that she convinced Napoleon to sign a prenup that basically handed her all the publishing rights to his books. Wow. And which, yes, the the idea here being that if anyone came to sue him or tried to get claw money back for any number of his scams that they wouldn't be able to touch him. That was the idea, but obviously that did not work out for him because she divorced him uh, and married the divorce attorney. Um, 
<laughs> no, she didn't. Yes. <laughs> they were made for each other, these yes. two. Yes. <laughs> So we're in the late 30s, and he shows up at at this how to, a social experiment. Let's let's use the term social experiment being conducted in, on Long Island. Um, there is a guy named James Schaefer who has started a cult called the Master Metaphysicians. Hmm. Sounds legit. Let mm-hmm. me double check. Royal Fraternity of the Master Metaphysicians. Say that again. <laughs> the Royal Fraternity of the Master Metaphysicians. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. And they do what? <laughs> so they are sort of regarded um, based on, you know, I talked with the uh, Long Island historian about this. They're basically seen uh, in the late 30s as this sort of kooky alternative community that's pretty harmless. But they have some rather unorthodox views. Uh, they buy up this, this huge mansion in Long Island and a bunch of people come to live there. And, you know, there's the innocuous stuff, which is the vegetarianism. But then there's the more they... Uh, want to raise an immortal baby so they who doesn't (laughs) i mean that sounds totally reasonable to me Mm -hmm. moving on (laughs) so they adopt and i use that term loosely a five-month-old girl her mom was a waitress i'm gonna guess unmarried and in the end it all turns out okay because the baby's returned but you know, they, they attract some attention for wanting to, they believe that through their life philosophies, they can, they can make a, a person immortal. Um, and, and so by starting from scratch with this baby, they think that they can, you know, get her to live forever. After all, if anything's possible using the power of the mind, why not at least try something truly impossible? Life coaching, thinking and growing into whatever you decide you want to be, that's what it's about, right? Creating a life that operates without restriction. It's about transcending, being extraordinary. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tight Knit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase Mobile App is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. 
This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In fact, the head of the cult, James Schaefer, tried to get the people who were doing, right around the same time, 1939 New York World's Fair, had this huge time's capsule that's sealed for 5,000 years, and they wanted mm. to include um, some documents about her since she'd be the only person still alive at the time um, when, this, <laughs> when this time capsule was I thought you open. were going to say they wanted to include her. No. <laughs> <laughs> 5,000 years from now, we open it up, and she's like, uh-huh. hi. <laughs> I did it. They did it. Right. When did they give her back? Do you know? Like, how long did they wait? Were they like, uh, oh, terrible twos, got to go, didn't work? Yeah, it was. It was after the the press died down. It wasn't. It wasn't more than a couple of years. I know that. Yeah. Um, so she was an awful toddler, and then they were like, Goodbye. sure, <laughs> right. <laughs> but Napoleon Hill, oddly enough, was the baby's godfather. Is that true? Yeah. No. He because he was hanging out at this place. You know, he was. He was buddies with Schaefer, uh, the cult leader, and they had all kinds of scams together. A couple years later, Schaefer would go to jail for one wealthy woman who felt like she was getting scammed, said, hey, you took all my money. And Schaefer wrote about how it was all Napoleon Hill's idea. But Napoleon, I don't know how Napoleon Hill gets out of trouble in all of these situations. As far as I know, he didn't. He was arrested a few times, but never served any considerable amount of time in prison, as far as I can tell. What do you personally think about the type of person Napoleon Hill was? First of all, again, his name was Oliver Napoleon (laughs) Hill. Yeah, I I get the feeling that he um, carried this baggage of, of... not having great ideas about self-worth and and I think that he he was I, I think that in some ways he really did believe in the idea that that thoughts can affect material reality. I think that there's you know a kernel of truth to that that you first have mm-hmm. to sort of visualize what you want to see in the world. but I think that he was using, those ideas that were percolating at the time into an incredibly cynical scheme, or an entire life devoted to trying to swindle money. Um, yeah. Almost everything he did was dishonest in some way. And, you know, the most honest buck he earned was in, in the book that he's remembered for. But at the end of the day, it was probably the labor put in by his wife at the time was... Um, was worth more than anything he'd he'd ever accomplished. But Napoleon's Napoleonic impact is not only felt by people looking for guidance in business. Okay, so the the prosperity gospel, the guys like Joel Mm -hmm. Osteen um, Mm -hmm. are drawing much more from Napoleon Hill than they are from the Bible. 
I'd argue. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these people who who want you, who are insistent upon the idea that that God wants you to be rich and that mm-hmm. you deserve it because mm-hmm. God wants you to to have all this wealth, uh, despite Jesus being pretty clear. It seems on the whole camel through the eye of a needle thing. The camel through the eye of a needle is often attributed to Jesus. It's also found in a bunch of other old religious texts, but here's how it is quoted in the New Testament. Jesus says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Seems to make it clear that rich people can't get into heaven. So the prosperity gospel people today would be, I think, um, the best example of, of Napoleon Hill. Can you talk more about the the time that he was he and his wife were writing this book? What was going on in, in America or around the world? Sure. Well, you know, in I believe unemployment peaked in 1932 or 33 uh, at around 25%. So mm-hmm. massive unemployment, the Great Depression of the 1930s was incredibly difficult time for for a lot of people. And a book like this coming in 37 or 38 was, you know, something that that people could latch on to as, oh, I can think my way out of my material conditions. I can think my way out of being poor and not having a job and being on bread lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's a powerful idea, even in the best of times, but especially when people are struggling with the fact, and I think I mentioned this in the piece, you know, one of my favorite movies is um, Sullivan's Travels, um, which is uh, Preston Sturgis' movie from 41, I want to say, mm-hmm. um, that where the lesson is that people don't want to be reminded of difficult times when they're living through them. And when you're living through a difficult time, you savor, and I think that, you know, not that they're completely analogous, but I think that People don't necessarily want a lot of stories right now about the pandemic um, mm-hmm. because I think that was a tough time for everyone and they want escapism. They want other forms of entertainment and education that have nothing to do with the pandemic because it was just such a tough period for a lot of people. Um, yeah. Walk into a big bookstore like Barnes & Noble and you're going to see Napoleon Hill's books, especially Think and Grow Rich. His books get passed around at like real estate conferences and all sorts of different environments where people are big into sales. You know, he was essentially a salesman speaking to salesmen. And it makes a lot of sense that that he came around at that time. There's a lot in his work that, you know, there's the, the get rich quick angle, but there's also the believing in yourself angle. He has a lot of different ideas about um, how to improve your your mind and body, things that would become you know mainstream in self help literature later on, but he he definitely was selling people on the idea that to be a success you had to first think like a success, um, and we see that pop up in all of his writings. Here's the bottom line, though: it worked. We are talking about him today. I'm talking about him right now. Napoleon Hill wanted to be a success, and he sold us on the idea that we could do the same thing. What he left out of his message was his obvious feeling that it was okay to get there by any means necessary. 
Sometimes it feels like we've collectively decided not to say that part out loud, to venerate the wealthy, successful, famous people, and not look too hard at how they got there. Maybe we want someone to tell us how to do life, to absolve us of the responsibility of doing life in a moral way, because to have it all is inherently amoral. Next time, our hero Jennifer does her best Napoleon Hill impression and does not like what it does to her. And when you first join, you're told, like, it's you get this free white Mercedes or you earn, Arbonne will pay for a bonus, will pay a car bonus towards a white Mercedes if you just could get yourself to regional vice president. What it actually means is you go to the Mercedes dealership, you get a three, at least a three-year lease in your name with your credit score. You sign up, so you're locked in. And now I see it clear as day. It's a way to keep you locked in for the next three years because how are you going to pay for it? And you put it in your name and Arbon gets all the credit for it. Was their um, reimbursement enough to actually cover the lease and insurance? No. (laughs) The Dream is written, hosted, and executive produced by me, Jane Marie. Our producer is Mike Richter, with help from Nancy Golombiski and Joy Sanford. Our editor is Peter Clowney. The Dream is a co-production of Little Everywhere and Pushkin Industries. If you love this show, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus, offering bonus content, exclusive binge opportunities, and ad-free listening across our network for just $6.99 a month. Look for the Pushkin Plus channel on Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm. And while you're there, please sign up for our newsletter. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Hey there. I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.